0: Please, congregation, turn your Bibles this morning to Ephesians chapter 3, before we turn to the final lords of our catechism, we'll look at two passages from Ephesians 3 and Ephesians chapter 6. As we heard just a few moments ago in our assurance of pardon, we who are once dead in our sins and trespasses, we who once walked in the course of the the prince of the power of the air, God made alive together with Christ Jesus in order that we might walk with him. And the first three chapters of Ephesians speak to all these things that God has done for us. Chapter 1 speaks of God's electing love. Chapter 2 speaks of the way in which you've been saved by grace and how we're one in Christ. And Paul continues along that thread in chapter 3. We'll begin reading at verse 14 of chapter 3 where Paul begins to transition in the book from what God has done to what he now calls to do and living in light of that So here's the hinge of the book of Ephesians 3, verse 14. This is God's holy word. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he might grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, you may be filled with all fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's turn also to chapter 6. We'll begin reading at verse 10. In chapter 4, Paul has spoken about walking in the new man. In chapter 5, walking in love as husbands and wives, as parents and children, as bondservants and masters. Now he says at verse 10 of chapter 6, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand against the schemes of the devil for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Thus far, God's holy and inspired word may bless that to us as we meditate upon it this morning. Let's turn also to Lord's Day 52 of the Catechism. Here we are. Lord's Day 52, page 257. We'll read the three questions and answers responsively together. Congregation of Christ, what does the sixth petition mean? And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil means we are so weak that we cannot stand on our own for a moment. And our sworn enemies, the devil, the world, and our own flesh never stop attacking us. And so, Lord, uphold us and make us strong by the power of your Holy Spirit, so that we may not be defeated in this spiritual fight, but may firmly resist our enemies until we finally win the complete victory. How do you conclude this prayer? For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. This means we have made all these petitions of you Because as our all-powerful king, you are both willing and able to give us all that is good. And because your holy name, and not we ourselves, should receive all praise forever. And finally, what does that little word, amen, express? Amen means, this shall truly and surely be. For it is much more certain that God has heard my prayer then I feel in my heart that I desire such things from him. This the church of Christ does believe and confess throughout the world. Dear congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, as we come now to the end of our study of the Heidelberg Catechism, we do so need to keep in mind what we set out to do all the way back in the beginning. And that was to unpack that reality that our only comfort in life and in death is that we are not our own. But that we belong, body and soul, and life and in death, to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. That he has fully satisfied, he has fully paid for all our sins with his precious blood. And has set us free from the tyranny of the devil. That Because we belong to him, he also watches over us in such a way that not a hair can fall from our heads that the will of our Father in heaven, that all things work together for our salvation. Lord's Day 52, we see ends on the same note. Lord's Day 52 likewise speaks to the comfort and to the confidence that we have as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. This Lord's Day speaks to us again of that reality that it's not just that we have access to the Father through prayer, but that his love for us is so great that it is much more certain that God hears our prayers, then we feel in our hearts that we desire such things from Him, and as our all-powerful king, He is both willing and able to give us all that is good. Indeed, congregation, this is our comfort. this is our confidence in life and in death, And as the apostle Paul says here in Ephesians chapter three, verse 20, God is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ever. Ask or think according to the power that is at work within us. Yet despite the fact that we as believers have such comfort and such confidence, the journey of the Christian life is not a journey of smooth sailing. The journey of the Christian life is not a journey that can be traveled on cruise control or or by autopilot. Rather, the journey of the Christian life requires us to keep alert with all perseverance, says Paul in Ephesians 6.18. As Jude 1.21 says, we must look daily to the Lord's mercy, nor that we might keep ourselves in the love of God because the Christian life is is fraught with threats and dangers on on every side. There are temptations that come to us both from within as well as from without that, that seek to lead us astray. And so you and I must be vigilant. We must be vigilant at all times and in every way. As I've said before, we might think of these last three petitions as as prayers for the journey, as we find ourselves living so between those two worlds of, of the already and the not yet or the still to come. That as we soldier from this world to the world to come, we need to ask daily for, for daily bread and forgiveness. And those two petitions both pressed upon us the reality that we are weak and needy. The Lord's Day 50 taught us to pray for daily bread because God is the only source of everything good. And that neither our care or work or the gifts he gives us can do us any good without his blessing. In the same way, Lourdes fifty one taught us to pray that God would forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And that because of Christ's blood, he would not impute to us poor sinners that we are. Any of the transgressions we do or the evil that constantly clings to us. And this last petition is no different. This last petition reminds us that we are so weak. We are so with that we cannot stand on our own even for a moment. This petition reminds us of how hard and difficult the journey of this life really is, doesn't it? It reminds us that this life is a life of spiritual struggle, that we are engaged in a spiritual battle, that we have real enemies who seek to undo us and, and undermine us at every turn. Sworn enemies who, who never stop attacking us. And as Kevin DeYoung says in his commentary on the Catechism, it's only the measure of our carelessness that we pray the sixth petition so infrequently. As another pastor comments on this Lord's Day living, this petition shows us that living living for Christ is not some sort of game that we play. But the Christian life is a struggle in the midst of a spiritual war between Christ Jesus and the cosmic forces of darkness. And so we see this morning that we need this petition every bit as much as we need the last two. We desperately need God to uphold us and and to make us strong by the power of the Spirit so we might not be defeated in this spiritual fight. And here in Lord's Day 52, we discover that that is exactly what God does. God strengthens his soldiers. He, He stands beside them and equips them for battle. Such that we can say what the apostle Paul said to Timothy at the end of his the second letter, when he says that, Timothy, all, everyone has, has abandoned me and left, but God has, has stood by me, and he has delivered me from the mouth of the lion. That's what God does for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. He stands beside us. He equips us for battle so that we might be able to withstand the attacks and temptations of the evil, and that we might be delivered from the lion's mouth. And this God does because, as we confessed, all the way back in Lord's Day 1, these soldiers of of this army are not their own, but they belong to Christ. They've been seated with Christ in heavenly places, as Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2. This is our assurance as we pray these final words of the Lord's Prayer, that Christ taught us to pray. That even as we recognize the extent of our vulnerability, we also recognize that we can resist the enemy with all vigilance, and we can rest in the confidence that, that the final victory is ours because the Lord strengthens his soldiers. He stands beside his soldiers. But we do notice in the first place this morning that the sixth petition, first of all, causes us to recognize the extent of our vulnerability. According to our catechism, we are so weak that we cannot stand on our own, even for a moment. And our sworn enemies, the devil, the world, and our flesh never stop attacking us And the Apostle Paul highlights this very thing, doesn't he, when he speaks of the reality that God's soldiers aren't just wrestling against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and authorities and cosmic powers of darkness and spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. You see, being seated with Christ in heavenly places also brings with it heavenly enemies. And this realm of of spiritual blessing into which we've been born again, as Paul speaks of in Ephesians 1, also is a, a realm of spiritual battle. For Sinclair Ferguson writes, while Christ has indeed delivered the death blow to the powers of darkness, they are not yet fully destroyed and have not yet conceded defeat. And so to be raised from spiritual death into spiritual life by Christ the King means that we are no longer the followers of the prince of the power of air, but rather... We're now the opposition. Without a work of supernatural grace, we are unable to remain standing. You recall from the older version of our catechism that answered the question that we are not able to to hold our own, even for a moment, as we seek to endure the threats of the evil. But here, the updated edition more carefully reflects the very image that the Apostle Paul is using here in Ephesians 6, this imagery of, of standing. In this spiritual battle, we cannot stand on our own even for a moment. And so the apostle says that we need to find our strength in the Lord if we are to stand against the schemes and strategies of the devil, verse 11. And we need to take up the whole armor of God if we are to withstand that evil day and to stand firm, verse 13. In the context of Ephesians chapter 6, we need to recognize that this conflict, this spiritual battle between Cosmic powers and and Christ Jesus, isn't something that's just occurring somewhere out there in some foreign remote mission field where where people have never heard the gospel of Christ? But in the immediate context of Ephesians chapter 6, what's Paul been saying? He's been speaking to the church. He's been speaking to husbands and wives. He's been speaking to parents and children, to bondservants and masters. Spiritual warfare, you see, isn't, isn't something that just happens Somewhere out there, but spiritual warfare is something that, that goes on in our homes, in our schools, in our places of work. In every Christian marriage, the, the evil one is, is lurking behind the corner, seeking to, to tempt the wife, to usurp the authority of her husband. And he is there seeking to, to tempt the husband, to lead in, in a domineering way, rather than in a self-sacrificial way. He's seeking to, to break that marriage apart. In every Christian home, there's the devil lurking behind every corner seeking to, to cause the siblings not to get along with each other and seeking to, to tempt the siblings to, to say no to mom and dad, to live in rebellion. He's there in every workplace tempting the, the employer to disregard the needs of his employees and tempting the employees to, to speak ill of their employers behind their employers' backs. He's always seeking to divide and conquer, to bring division in our relationships with one another. And while it's important that we not overestimate Satan's power and act as though he is not on on the Lord's leash, he hasn't broken free from the Lord's leash, it's also important that we not underestimate his power either. As one commentator writes, Satan possesses supernatural power. And this is a personal contest to, to the death against the one who has brought down a third of the stars of heaven with the sweep of his tail, Revelation 12. And he has wounded such children of God as Adam and Noah, Moses and David, Peter, and a vast multitude of others. How foolish I would be to think that I alone am exempt from his attacks or immune to his power. How foolish it would be to think that we're immune the attacks of the evil one. We, of course, live in a world that seeks to turn Satan into a fictional cartoon character of human imagination, but here the Apostle Paul tells that the devil is very real. The Apostle Peter says in chapter 5, this first letter, that he prowls about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He prowls about as a roaring lion. We turn on the TV. He's prowling about as a, as a roaring lion. As we scroll through the Facebook and Instagram feeds, he prowls about as, as a roaring lion. We think we're all alone and no one is watching. He is always there prowling about, seeking to devour, seeking to tempt, and to lead astray. As our catechism highlights here in Lord's Day 52, he has sworn an oath to take us down. And he's made a strong alliance with the world and, and our own flesh to to attack us from every side. And these sworn enemies never stop attacking us. But they're always working, always strategizing, never sleeping. And so we need to recognize the extent of our vulnerability, that we are vulnerable to, this, to these attacks. To quote Phil Reichen, no Christian can withstand temptation in his or her own strength. Not the teacher giving the Sunday school lesson. Not the dear old woman praying for all the missionaries. Certainly not the minister standing in the pulpit. Nor can any group of Christians withstand temptation in their own strength. Not the congregation wearing its Sunday best. Not the school founded on solid biblical principles. Not even the family worshiping around the dinner table. temptation is too dangerous for us to handle on our own. When we examine our own hearts, we we see that clearly, don't we? When we examine our lives, this petition reveals to us that that far too often, we don't even hardly try to resist the evil one. That our hearts are still so prone to to wander, prone to to leave the God we love. We tell ourselves that sin is inevitable, and so we give ourselves an out. We give ourselves an an excuse to... To take that second glance at the woman passing by, or to tell that little white lie, or to engage in gossip, or to, or to keep on holding that, that grudge against our neighbor. We look back on our own lives, we look back on even the last week, and we, and we see that we gave in to temptation, that we failed, that we've missed the mark, that we sinned. We see in ourselves that we are so weak that we cannot stand on our own, even for a moment. Look what the Apostle Paul is doing here in Ephesians chapter 6. The Apostle Paul, by the Spirit of Christ, he's inviting us to stand firm, but not to be strong in ourselves or in our own strength, but he says to be strong in the Lord. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And he calls the Ephesians to then take up this whole armor of God which God himself provides and this armor which, which Christ himself wore throughout the entirety of his soldier on the earth that so we might resist the devil firm in the faith as, as Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5. And so we see how God strengthens his soldiers. He, he answers this prayer of Lord's Day 52. Lord, uphold us. Lord, make us strong by the power of your spirit. So we may not be defeated by our spiritual enemies, but we may firmly resist these enemies until we finally win the complete victory. The apostle Paul and our catechism show us how to stand, not through worldly gimmicks or through fleshly measures, but by putting on the whole armor of God, verses 13 to 17, and by praying at all times in the spirit, verses 18 to 20. In chapter 11, in his prophecy, the prophet Isaiah spoke of, of a divine warrior, saying that righteousness would be the belt around his waist and faithfulness, a belt around his loins. The prophet said in chapter 54 that this divine warrior would wear righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. In these words, the prophet, we of course recognize, are, are fulfilled in Christ Jesus. Christ himself is that divine warrior that the prophet Isaiah was talking about. And Christ, as this divine warrior, we've seen in the Gospels, he has proven the reliability of this God-forged armor in the conflict against Satan. How throughout his life, from the days of his youth to the days of his being tempted in the wilderness, to those days before his death, as he prayed that God would let the cup pass and that Satan would would have him to to abandon the path that God had put him on, Christ showed us that this armor could be tacit to the limit and not break. Hebrews 4.15 says that in every respect he was tempted as we are, yet without sin. 1 John 3.8 says that Christ came to, to destroy all the works of the devil. And as Christ engaged in this hand-to-hand combat with the evil one, he demonstrated for us that this armor which God provides and properly worn will surely protect the one who wears it. This is what Paul says we are to do in verses 11 and 13. He tells us that we must put on this whole armor of God so that we might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So we might be alert and and on guard, being sober-minded at all times, being vigilant at all times in every way. Not only knowing the enemy, knowing what we're dealing with, these spiritual forces of darkness, but also knowing how to defend ourselves against the enemy. And so he says in the first place that we are to fasten the belt of truth around our waist, which refers to to the integrity and consistency of life which the gospel produces in the believer. In other words, we're to fasten the belt of truth around our waist in a way in which our lives are lives of integrity, where our walk matches our talks that Satan doesn't have any accusations of hypocrisy to lay against us. In the second place, we're to wear the breastplate of righteousness at all times. We want to be protected from fatal wounding. The breastplate, which is the perfect righteousness of Christ, serves to to guard us against Satan's accusations by constantly reminding us that our sins have already been cast into the depths of the sea. Thirdly, we're to resist the enemy, as Paul says, by wearing the right footwear, the readiness of the gospel, We need to live and breathe and believe this gospel. So even after we've we've fallen into sin, we don't go back into the battlefield with, with the lead shoes of a guilty conscience on our feet. But rather wearing the shoes of the readiness of the gospel of peace. In the fourth place, we need to carry with us at all times the shield of faith, which extinguishes all those flaming darts of the evil one think of how d- defensive that the shield is and that's where Paul called to carry the shields so as those flaming darts come our way we're constantly mindful of our surroundings and we and we raise that shield of faith which extinguishes those flaming darts in the fifth place he says we're to wear at all times the helmet of salvation which is to say we are to to guard our minds for Christ Jesus, lest we be conformed to the thinking and patterns of the world. To quote Sinclair Ferguson, the Christian who would stand against Satan must develop a mind that is well furnished with the promises of God's word, which is able to make us wise into salvation through faith in Christ. Second Timothy 3.15 And finally, if we're to resist the enemy then we need to carry with us, wherever we go, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. We need to follow in the example of Christ, the Psalm 1 man who, who meditated upon that word day and night, who, who stored God's word in his hearts that, that he might not sin. But Notice that if we're to resist the enemy with all vigilance, we must, also wear, we must also be a people of prayer. He says in verse 18 that we are to pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. And Paul says that we're not just to to pray for ourselves, which is an obvious, that's a given that God would always be delivering us personally from, from temptation, from the evil one, but also we should be praying for each other. He says to that end, keep it, Lord, with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. The Apostle Paul reminds us that as we wage war in this spiritual battle, we aren't fighting it on our own, but we're fighting it side by side. And then Paul says in verse 19, and pray also for me, pray also for me that, my, that, the, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. And I couldn't help but be struck by how, if the Apostle Paul needed the prayers of the saints, and how much don't I need the prayers of the saints? The influential, the influential English, century, uh, English preacher Charles Spurgeon was once asked, what, what is the secret of your ministry, that great preacher who drew in so many people? What is, what is the secret to your ministry that he was asked? And he would reply, my people pray for me. Certainly your pastor needs your prayers. And I am exceedingly thankful to the Lord that you pray for me, that I might be faithful to carry out this calling as The Apostle Paul sought to be faithful to carry out this calling, to be a proclaimer of the mystery of the gospel for which he was an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ. The sixth petition summons us to recognize the extent of our vulnerability and to resist the enemy with all vigilance. But notice finally how it also summons us to rest in the certainty of our final victory. Notice how the last line of answer 127 ends. Lord, uphold us and make us strong. So we may not be defeated in this spiritual fight, but may firmly resist our enemies until we finally win the complete victory. Victory, you see, is not a matter that's still up in the air, but our victory in this spiritual warfare is certain. Christ has already accomplished it in his life in death and resurrection. And while we recognize these battle skirmishes continue, the, the war has already been won. And a day is coming, says one pastor, when our commander, Christ Jesus, will call us away from the battlefield to receive the victor's crown. And then we will share in his absolute eternal conquest of the evil one. For as the scripture has promised, the God of all peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Romans 16, verse 20. Do you believe that this morning, congregation, that the God of all peace will soon crush Satan under your feet? Sometimes in our battle against sin and temptation, the armor feels awfully heavy. And all we want to do is just cast the armor aside and, and give in and give up altogether. The Apostle Paul would urge us and our cags would urge us to, to look again to Christ, to look to our commander. Who not only stands beside us, but who also promises to strengthen us to stand by our side and to equip us with the power of his spirit. In this helpful book titled The Desires of Our Hearts, Craig Troxell notes that most of us will fight against our idolatries until our final breath. Our daily clashes with greed and materialism and worldliness will not automatically wane. And our struggles with selfishness and lustful and conceited desires Will not magically fall away, never to return, and they will not necessarily decline in obvious and dramatic measures. But what Christ promises us in His all-sufficient grace is that He will be with us in the midst of these struggles against sin and Satan. He promises to persevere relentlessly in our hearts, so that we will increasingly deny false desires and pursue pure desires. His grace is more than able to deal with temptations. His grace is more than able to deny them, to fight them, and perhaps even to see them weaken more and more. Of course, sometimes the battle grows ever wearisome, but we recognize that the battle is where we belong. The battle is where we belong because that's where Christ is waging the war. Waging the war against all our enemies until they shall all finally be made a, a footstool for his feet, as Psalm 110 talks about. And so after the apostle Peter urges his readers to, to resist the devil firm in the faith, to resist this, to resist this roaring lion, he, he goes on to encourage his readers with those reassuring words when he says, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, he will himself restore, confirm, strengthen and establish you. Because his is the kingdom. His is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And as our all-powerful king, he is both willing and able to do and to give us all that is good. And that includes to give us this this final victory over all our sworn enemies, the the devil, the world, and our flesh who never stop attacking. And so contrary to what the evil one would have us to believe, our prayers that God would would deliver us from evil, these prayers do not fall on deaf ears. It's not as though our prayers are only going so high as the ceiling before bouncing back down to the ground. Rather than we pray to God to deliver us, we recognize we have an audience with, with the King of kings and Lord of lords. And as our catechism says, it is far more certain that God hears the prayers that we pray. than we feel in our hearts that we desire such things from him. That's what's expressed in that little word, Amen an expression of faith that God is able to do far more abundantly than we could ever ask, think, or imagine according to the work that is at work within us. And so we can be sure that God is indeed bringing us from grace to glory, from, from vulnerability to victory. And so we sing, but lo, there breaks a yet more glorious day, the saints triumphant rise in bright array, as the king of glory passes on his way. Congregation, this is our comfort. This is our confidence in life and in death that God strengthens his soldiers. He grants the faith to to resist all our enemies. He leads us to victory. And he tells us that he is coming very soon. And so we pray, even so, come, come, come. Lord Jesus, amen. Let us pray. Gracious God and heavenly Father, we come before you when we give you thanks that you're a God who hears our prayers. That when we pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You hear from heaven and you answer us. Lord, we pray that you'd give us the grace to recognize and humility that we are so weak that we cannot hold our own even for a moment. You would make us mindful that our enemies are constantly attacking us. Satan, the world, and our own flesh. And so, Father, give us the strength to take off the whole armor of God and to pray at all times in the Spirit. Uphold us, Lord, and make us strong by your Spirit. May, so that we may resist our spiritual enemies until we reach and win the final victory. Father, we give you thanks that yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. That you speak to us in your word and remind us again that you are able and willing to do all that is good for us. And so, Fathers, we engage in this spiritual warfare. We pray that you would help us to live then for your glory and not for our own. We would fight against the evil one for the glory of God. And Father, we thank you that you bid us to express every time we pray the confidence that we have that it is more certain that you hear this prayer than we desire that you would answer it. We pray this, Lord, in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.